Okay, we're continuing in 1 Corinthians today, and if you'd like to turn there, we're going to make sure you stay awake, too. <laughs> hey, I just want to say, I mean, this is, 1 Corinthians already is touching my heart in these ways. I hope that it will yours, too, but I don't get up every week to talk about this word because I'm so strong in it, you know. I don't because I've had training and that's my vocation. I don't because I have some special insight that you don't have that I want to convince you of. I don't get up every week because of the great salary that pastors make. We make the big bucks. I get up because of this message. And it's the message we started to even talk about last week where Paul looked at the Corinthians and he he knows them so well. And you and I, we've begun to know each other well. Maybe not as well as Paul knew the Corinthians, though. He knew all their problems. He knew all their failures. He knew they were digging at each other. He knew they were suing each other. He knew there was immorality among them. He knew they were preventing each other from taking communion. And he started out this amazing letter to the Corinthians and said, I'm writing to you who are holy. I'm writing to you who are sanctified. Just because you trust in this amazing man who is God named Jesus. It is so remarkable. This is the thing that gets me up in the morning that says, hey, if you knew my life and I know your life and we can start to pick at each other, but we step back and we say, wait a minute. We have Jesus. Oh, that's something that gets me up here. That's something I want to talk to you about. That's something I want to go through the scriptures and be excited about this message. And, 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 and so amazing that the scriptures lay it out for us and push us into Christ and help us respond to this amazing Jesus. And, and yet as we live this life, you and I, and here we are living, different things start to come up. How should I raise my kids? How, what should my marriage look like? How should I be a good worker? All these other things that come out of this response to the gospel. And we start sometimes focusing on those things that are downstream things. And then it gets easy to start having division. I'm not talking about division over whether Jesus saves. He saves. I'm talking about how we do this life and what we do. And so sometimes our eyes get off of the wonder of the cross and the wonder of what he's done and starts getting on to the things that we don't agree with. Paul's addressing that right away in the first Corinthians. That's a bit of what we get to talk about today to call us back because there are a thousand expressions of Christianity and they may distract you and I. So we get called back to where the power is. The power's in something. It's not in your strong life or my strong life. The power is in the cross. That's why this is called power in the passion, because the passion is the what we, we say is the cross, is the, the action of Jesus Christ to go and die. That's the passion. So I, I want to show you that today from 1 Corinthians as he starts right away to talk to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and we're going to pick it up in verse 9. He starts with finding unity. This call for unity, not in factions, but in Christ. And so he says this in verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers, 
by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. He's calling for Christians to agree, right? He's equating agreeing with not having divisions. That we would have the same mind and the same judgment. (laughs) Sounds really good, because honestly, if you step back and think about it, is there anything uglier than Christians fighting? I mean, we all believe in Jesus, right? We say that Jesus alone is our hope. We we have discovered the greatest salvation ever and the love of God for us, and we're shining forth on the cross. We get to see it. And so let's just join together and affirm that Jesus is our hope. But we go astray pretty fast. This joke is from Emo Phillips. He, he said once he saw this guy on a bridge, and he was about to jump, He said, wait, wait, stop, don't do it. And the man said, well, nobody loves me. And the the man said, I said, well, God loves you. Do you believe in God? And the man on the bridge there said, yes. So I said, are you a Christian or a Jew? He said, a Christian. I said, me too. Protestant or Catholic? Protestant. Oh, well, me too. Oh, well, what faction of Catholic or Protestant are you? He says, well, I'm a Baptist. Oh, I say, me too. Well, Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He said, Northern Baptist. I said, oh, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? Well, Northern Conservative Baptist. Oh, me too. Uh, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region? Or Northern Conservative Baptist, Eastern Region. Well, Northern uh, Conservative Baptist, Great Lakes Region. (gasps) Me too. Well, Northern Conservative Baptist, Great Lakes Region, Council of 1879. Or Northern Conservative Baptist, Great Lakes Region, Council of 1912. Well, Northern Conservative Baptist, Great Lakes Region, Council of 1912. Die, heretic! Push him off the bridge. You see how it goes? There's a thousand denominations, right? And we can get so into the weeds about what it is. And then we have our faction. And our faction becomes the only faction we want to go to war for. And Paul says, stop, wait, I appeal to you. We we divide over things we really shouldn't. We're a people who want to break into these factions and groups instead of finding unity in the cross of Christ. And, and, and in spite of it being a joke this morning, there are definitely in our hearts these things. It can be a foundational issue for your life and mine that we don't find our essential unity, even though there are definite reasons why there's there's denominations here and denominations there, right? There are reasons. Look at what he goes on to say. He says, For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people. Chloe was one of the people in the church there, and he had reported to Paul what's going on, that there's quarreling among you, brothers. What I mean to say is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. See, this is the problem. It's not denominationalism per se. It's more about factioning, right? 
They're latching on to groups. I got to see this in seminary a lot because I went to seminary who has a good head. His name's John MacArthur, and people know him, and so people would come to seminary just because they wanted to be John MacArthur's guy. They listen to every word John MacArthur says. My brother, who's been a pastor in, for 20 years in, 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 in Vienna, he, he has listened to Chuck Smith, who's a particular founder of Calvary Chapel, just loves his words and his things and his things. He's a Chuck Smith guy. It's so easy to be a fill-in-the-blank guy. Or I got to see it like that in seminary. I'm a MacArthur guy. Some of us know R.C. Sproul, man, that guy, he just can bring it. Except when he debated MacArthur about premillennialism, then I think MacArthur, but otherwise I just love, this is the man. So, so you started to get this people, they long to be part of a smaller group that identifies them as special. I'm Paul's guy. Well, I'm Apollos' guy. Even sometimes, he even does it here. Do you see? He even takes a hit. I follow Christ. Some people would say, well, you're on the outside. I'm following Christ over here with the pure people. Even that can be this idea that we don't together circle around something, but we divide into little pieces. And we let the little piece piece be the exclusionary part of what we do. And, and so that's where Paul's going, Right? Stephen at a church once where it was a big church, but you could really see years afterwards, I could go to a church sometime and I'd hear somebody speak and I'd say, oh, I know that man's been to the church that I went to because he talks like that pastor there. Because the teachers would all, everyone would listen to the man who spoke and they would start talking like him. Just want to be like him. And the, the main problem with that, it's not so much that, that, oh, we don't experience blessing and they're gifted teachers. And even in our day and age, because we have this technology where we can video out things and we can hear things that you would never hear a hundred years ago, but we can have one man you touch thousands and thousands of people. That's a good thing. Have insight and good. The trouble is, is that we want to make it, I'm over here and you're over there. We have a propensity to divide. And, and Paul has words to say about it. He gets pretty hot, actually. Let's keep going. Is Christ divided? What's the answer? No. Was Paul crucified for you? No. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? No. Thank God, he says, that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. You see, when you talk about baptism, say, well, baptism's good, right? You want to do it. Yes, you do, in the name of Christ. But baptism traditionally has been that you, you, you basically are baptizing people into being your proselyte, your disciple. So you could use baptism to sort of build your crowd, to build your people. Like, these are my folks over here. I baptized all of them. Paul says, it's so good, I'm so glad I didn't baptize you guys because that's not where it's at. He even says, I did baptize also the household of Stephanos, and beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. You see what he's doing? He's saying, I even forget. It's that unimportant to me. Whether I baptized you guys or not. I don't care. I love this. 
Paul's saying no one is made a convert of a particular preacher. Every preacher, every proclaimer is never in no way should you think a teacher is your savior. And I don't think we do. No one's going to say I've been saved by John MacArthur or somebody like that. We know it's Jesus, so and and, and so I, it's a little overstatement, maybe, but we do divide. So this is helpful and good to realize there are false teachers to stay away from. As we follow Christ, we have our own conviction. We're not the same as other people, but we should have a really high bar for dividing. It's not about the, the church, this local church, right? Paul's writing to his church. He's he's writing to the church at Corinth, but he's not saying, "Man, Corinth, I hope you get a lot more people than the church at Ephesus." Never that, is it? There are a lot of churches in our town, brothers and sisters, right? So excited if you get blessed and fed by any teacher anywhere. Because there's one message. It's the message of Christ. It's really interesting. We should be able to live with other opinions and take time to search scriptures together. Even people who say they believe something very different than we do. Things like creation or the end times or how parenting should go or how marriage should work out. And we have these things and we will have differences. It's really important for the church, our church, because it's not about converting people to Grace Church Bellingham. Our lives are about proclaiming Jesus Christ. That's what Paul goes to, right? He doesn't, he calls for unity, says, watch out, people want to be factions and don't do it. And then he, he, he says it's about proclaiming the gospel. That's what he's doing. The gospel, this good news. And, and there it is. We're going to slow down. I just want you to really feel these because we jump over them. For Christ, he writes in verse 17, did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So Paul did not come to Corinth to make followers of Paul. Paul didn't come to anoint people into a club or a particular belonging group of those who got the truth better than other people. Paul came to proclaim a message. Here's the thing. Do you know what the message is? Because I think this is kind of us too. Paul says, hey, Christ sent me to preach the gospel. You could translate that, preach the gospel. He was to shout out the good news. It's just a shouting out of the good news. Let me shout to you. There's good news. I think you can shout too. I won't ask you to do it right now. But that's what he's saying. I was sent to, not to, 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 to like, oh, I'm, I'm going to give you deeper knowledge that you don't under. No, it's literally, he says, I'm going to proclaim a herald saying, I got a good message. Get as far and wide with the good news as you can, not with eloquent wisdom, he says, right? Like it's about the polishness of the message. Our lives are about the message itself. And, and I think this is a little what we're prone to forget. I am. I like slick videos. Do you guys? I like going to YouTube and there's good production values and there's things that cut in and out and I can watch the little thing move around, whatever it is. I like it. I like good graphics. Good graphics are good. Is that a tautology? Yeah, kind of. But I'm telling you, we like these things and we like to belong to the cool group and the most modern folks. Or, or maybe we like the old-fashioned stuff. I don't like all decks, no. I don't like any of these newfangled graphics. 
give me the old rugged cross. And we'll sing it in the corner. Can't we just go back to the beautiful statements of yesterday? Kids today are so messy. And, and, and so you gotta stop, right? We gotta come back. We have to figure out that the good news is what trumps everything. The gospel. The power of Christianity is in a particular thing, and we see it here. It's not in what kind of music. It's not in a particular form or style. It's not in a human instrument of communication, is it? The power of Christianity is in the cross. Do you see it? Do you see what it says? That this is not like a hidden message. If you make it about other things, you're robbing the cross of its power, Paul writes. This is deeper than a mere, I like Apollos' preaching or I like Paul's preaching. You guys get over it and just like them both. That's not really the message that Paul's trying to convey. The, the, the message is when you only want your own expression of Christianity and you complain against the methodology of others, you're in danger of this because the, the, the power of Christianity is the cross. Why do you think he says that? Would you consider with me for a minute? I mean... Is that what you would pick? The power of Christianity, I might say, is the resurrection. Why didn't he pick the resurrection? He likes the resurrection. Don't get me wrong. It's super important. He says that the resurrection is not true. We're the most to be pitied. He's going to say that in chapter 15. But the power is the cross. I thought the power was in my love of others. No, that's not where the power is. the death of Jesus Christ for you. You and I are saved by the death of Jesus Christ for you and me. We are bought with a price. We are loved when we are sinners. We are redeemed not by one lick of our own, but by the payment, by the crucified Jesus. And all these other things you and I argue about, law-keeping or origins or holiness or Christian living are all subsequent and smaller than this. This is the power of Christianity. So, so the message you and I have, right, it's not about you being a better you. The message you and I have, it's, 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 it's not primarily about improving racism. That's been a thing recently in our Christian circles. It's not primarily about improving poverty. May we eradicate it forever. It's not about escaping addiction. It's not about becoming a better or a stronger you. The message of Christianity is the death of Jesus Christ. Uh, That's hard for us to say that's the main center because we live so often in these places outside of it. It's absolute folly to our flesh because we long, I do, I do, I long to use Christianity to get a better life. And Paul says when you start to do that, you take away its power. This is the power of God. This is really important stuff to get basic in. One more verse. He keeps going, but we're we're gonna settle here for a minute. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. 
But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The word of the cross, he says, it's folly to those who... Folly means stupid. It's stupidity. Because it's not logical. It's not reasonable. It's not, you say, oh, well, I've got a really good story. If you do this, then you'll have the power to go over here, and you'll be better, and your life will be better, and you'll be stronger. That would make total sense. That's not folly. That's leveraging the cross to have a better Christian life. I would get that. It says the power of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. By the way, those who are perishing means the world. He means people in the world that don't get Jesus. They're, they're dying. We're so tempted, I'm so tempted to stand up and to, to, to give you words to make you a better you. And I really believe from a text like this, I'd be robbing the cross of its power. You don't want to do that. I want to see how upside down this message that you and I have found is. It's an incredible message. It's so amazing that we get this message, you and I do. I'm going to tell you a parable, a story, to try and bring it home. You've heard little bits of this before from me, and it's from somebody else. I like this man who wrote this, but he talks about it, and I'm going to make it into a a, a little movie. Okay, so we're going to watch a little movie. And here you are on the beach. And it's a rough day in the surf. Man, the, the waves are up, the surf is high, the riptide is there, and the lifeguard very wisely says to the people, you can't swim, stop. You're not able to swim. And there's already a couple kids in there says, you got to get out. They say, oh, can't we just stay in the shout? No, too dangerous, out you go. And so the kids get out, and they, the, the parents, they, they resolve, okay, fine, we'll have a little picnic, and we'll play volleyball, we'll do all the beach things, but we won't go in the water. When all of a sudden, there's a boy watching out there, a little 10-year-old boy, and he looks out, and he sees this teenage girl out there, and she's bobbing up and down. There's somebody out there. You know the story, right? The camera pans over to the lifeguard, because this is where he's on the spot. The lifeguard grabs his gear. And he runs to the beach and he dives in. He goes out to save the girl. Okay. The lifeguard is Jesus. I'll just tell you that up. He's my Jesus figure. So he goes out. Okay. This is what we think will happen. This is what sometimes we think Christianity is. The lifeguard goes out there and he grabs hold of the girl. Oh, sweet, sweet, sweet Savior. He gets her, and he drags her back to the beach. And you know what? Initially, there's even fun little tension. Well, because she's drunk so much water, she's gone down the third time. She's not responding. They do the little CPR thing right there, and then she, big water thing comes out, and wow. And then, <laughs> maybe I've been at the beach. And, and, and then she's alive. And she gets up, and all the crowd cheers and retreated to the gal, walking off, alive to get checked out at the hospital, and then the afternoon of everyone talking about, hey, you know what? you got to listen to the lifeguard. you, you got to not go into the high surf. Johnny, I hope you learned this lesson. That message right there is how we often think of Christianity. It's a crowd, if you would ask the crowd, the people there on the beach, 
What do you think this film should have been about? That would be just it. The lifeguard goes, he rescues the girl, they, 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 they cough up some water, but she's saved, and now we all learn a moral lesson to live another day. Where's the power of the cross in that? Where's the actual relevancy to what the gospel actually says about you and me? I want to say that it's not there. We need a different story. So do the same thing. So the crowd's there, they're swimming. The lifeguard says, get out. They know there's a boy who swims out. There's someone drowning. Stop. Change it. Oh, the lifeguard goes. He's our Jesus. He's their savior. He takes his saving stuff. He paddles out there. He dives into the girl. You see him there. She doesn't even say anything to him, but he grabs hold of her. And then the waves keep going. They haven't stopped. They go and they keep going and they keep going. And then they, they're not there. Crowd's watching on this, on the, on the, on the beach. Did they drown? There's just the surf. They're gone. This is terrible. Did, did they both die? How, how can God just stand by and let people die? So meanwhile, the camera's still running, and it's running on the surf. Now it pans over to the lifeguard tower. It pans over to where the, 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 the lifeguard came from. And you zoom in on this little clipboard that's standing there, and there's, a, there's actually a note on the clipboard. And the note says, it's all okay. She's safe in my death. That's all. Reverse to this long shot of the ocean, and you're just looking at the ocean. And the waves are there, and then suddenly you, you fade. What's the power of the cross? Is it not the foolishness and weakness of God to die at the hands of men? The passion of Jesus, if you talk about the passion, and he's talking about the powers in the cross, he's talking about what's the center of the Christian experience and the Christian faith. The passion means the death on a cross of Jesus, not his rescue where he's okay. I think this fundamental conflict that we want, we want a reasonable outcome for us. I don't want to lose my life. Because in the first scene, I'm telling you, despite the gratifying conclusion, the world of the first story is just as healthy and happy as they've ever been. They get it. Man, if I go swimming and the, 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 the waves are too high, I've got this life preserver that'll bring me back to a happy life. There's no death in that. Even this girl, Salvation, the first little story I told you, the girl is delivered from death on a sunny Saturday, but she's not delivered from a lifetime of sin, of broken relationships, of arthritis, of cancer, of kids that rebel. She's not, she's nothing. There's no actual change. 
There's no actual historic significance. It's just a little bit like sometimes how we take Jesus' miracles. Remember, Jesus did so many cool miracles. But you realize that most of the people who were blind at the time of Jesus remained blind. You realize that when Lazarus, Jesus raised him from the dead, right? He went on to die. Jesus was so cool that one time, remember, when he turned 180 gallons of water into wine? They drank it. It's gone. You see, the miracles of Jesus, they weren't a um, program for history. They pointed to the one who was the program for history. They validated Jesus so that when you see him die on a cross, you realize God's upside-down plan is so amazing. It's the cross that has the power. That's what it is. The program is the cross. The program is Jesus himself in his death and resurrection. And the knowable part for us is the death of Jesus for us. The power of the cross is in contrast to the world's program of improvement. The world has no trouble with self-improvement. I teach this class for kids at the Bellingham Christian School. I'll tell you what, we went through the five major religions. They're all about improvement. There is no folly in self-improvement. There is folly in the cross. (laughs) this is why I get to stand up and talk to you. I don't have to threaten you about what will happen if you don't improve. I don't have to lie to you that, man, love will make your lives sore if you just work on it. It's precisely our lack of depth of love that gets us into such trouble. It's not stop sinning if you want God to like you because while you were yet a sinner, God died for you. It's about the unstoppable love of God in Christ. Oh. I think we struggle all our lives, you and I, and I'm, I'm in this boat, against the fear of being lost and lowly and little and dead. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the very power of God. You don't bring anything in. You don't use it to have a stronger life. You stay there. It's amazing. From the very first, in the garden, from the very very first pages of the Bible, the problem is we want to be the deciders. We want to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil so that we get to be in control. We get to be the ones who decide. We get to be the ones who, who, who delineate it out and who make the steps by which it's proper and fit that we might be acceptable to God. And God comes and says, none of you are, and yet the power of the cross, it's for you. All you need to do is to believe him, to trust him. Oh, I really don't want to trust God. I'm addicted to these pills, you see, these pills of spirituality, of religion, of even of morality in certain senses. These things that convince me, no, I can be in control, when at the end of the day, you can't. And we have to trust that our Savior died because the proclamation of the gospel is the power of the cross. That's just what it is. 
Paul says this in another letter. We'll end with this. He says, Far be it from me to boast. I can't say anything good except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see it? By which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I died. I got one thing to say. Jesus has it in his hand. He loves you. Grab hold. Turn from your ways. Turn from your self-salvation. Turn from your self-righteousness. Turn from your self-justification. Turn from yourself and turn to the power of the cross that though you die, yet you will live. This is the power in the passion. This is why you and I don't divide. Because if you taste this, I don't care. Oh, I care. I I, I have opinions. I have things I think are true. I will go to the scriptures, to the mat with you, to talk to you about what I think, about what the Bible says about certain things. But what I care about is this, that you and I have this connection in the power of the cross. Because if you have this, you have it all.